Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Today's episode is sponsored by my Lit Daily Online Yoga Classes. This is an exclusive pass into my personal practice and program that I created from experience as a physical therapist and 20 years developing my lit yoga methodology. There is a different class with me every day, including special monthly live streams, so you can feel your most lit up anytime and anywhere. Get a three-day free trial today by going to movementbylara.com and clicking daily classes. Let's get moving. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a movement by Laura podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through safer and smarter movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Today is Wednesday Q&A where you ask the questions and I answer them. Here we go. The first question, Instinct Yoga asked me, With the cue, don't flare your ribs, what about when people have huge rib cages? It's such a mystery. Well, I can talk from my own experience because I have a pretty big rib cage. So you have to look at relationships when you look at bones and structure. It's like I always say to people, don't just look at someone's butt to give you feedback about whether they are swaying in the low back or that they have increased lordosis. You have to look at the the bones in relationship to that. So somebody might have a neutral pelvis, but have a nice round butt that is that is about, that's their glutes. Another person might actually not have a lot of glute mass, or they might have a lot of glute mass, it doesn't really matter, but they're tipped in the pelvis so it sticks out even more. But you can't assume that somebody ha- that has a rounded glutes is that way because they're tilted in the pelvis. You have to look at the relationship. So In that regard, I would say, well, are their front pelvic points in line with their back pelvic points that's indicating a neutral pelvis? So similarly, you have to look at the ribs in relationship to the spine, in relationship to the head, in relationship to the pelvis. Somebody can have huge ribs, but if I watch them lift their arms up overhead and their ribs don't pop forward and they shorten the thoracic spine and back or tilt the pelvis, then I know that it's just that they have big ribs. There's the movement of flaring of the ribs that 
has an impact in other places, shortening the thoracic spine and back, which means you'll feel like there's this uh, kind of compression happening back there. Uh, You can see it in clothing, you can see it on the skin. And then also it usually tilts the pelvis and the head is involved. So when people lift their head, their chin up, they're much more likely to flare their ribs. It is absolutely. So if you just lift, just try it. If you're standing and you lift your rib, lift your chin, feel what that is almost like this little invitation for the bottom of the rib cage that is not connected to the sternum to, to open up and flare. Versus if I hold my chin neutral, but, but kind of lift my bottom rib straight up toward my chin, that's a different feeling. So the flaring will be more obvious the more you see it because you'll look at the relationship of what's happening in other places. The head, the neck, chin, all that is a big giveaway. The tipping of the pelvis, big giveaway. Locking of the knees back, big giveaway. And then the shortening of the thoracic spine in in the back body is a big giveaway that that's actually flaring. So the, the size of the ribs, how large the rib cage is, is not what's going to indicate the flaring. It's what happens elsewhere. Instinct Yoga also said, you said once Malasana with heels on the ground always. Would love to know more about this, please. Well, Malasana in general, I don't teach, but let's just say I'm teaching uh, even a Mary Malasana, which is a much higher pelvis or a side lunge. And I say heels on the ground. The reason I want that is because I want true hip mobility coming from the the ability to move the ankle well. So if you have your heel lifting up in any, either one of those, it's indicating that you don't have the sufficient range of motion in your ankle. And we have to look again, just as I said, was looking at the rib cage in relationship to other things. I don't look at just one thing. And this is my physical therapy lens, but you as a non-physical therapist can start to think about this too. There's no reason you have to understand all the elements of biomechanics to understand this one. And that is that everything is in a relationship. So if you're not able to keep your heel down, the relationship is of that is that you will move your knee instead. And we need to have mobility in three areas for a good squat. I mean, more than three areas. We need it in thoracic spine as well. But in the lower brain, we need ankle, knee, and hip mobility. And the knee is often, I don't even include that, only if you've had some kind of injury to it. It's really ankle and hip mobility. Your ankle needs to be moving well to have the hip move well. So if you're practicing malasana with the heels up, all you're doing is going down into deep hip flexion, but you're going to drive your femurs into your knees because the femurs are the thigh bones. You're going to drive them forward into the knees because you don't have sufficient ankle range of motion. So that's the biggest thing is that you need your ankle range of motion should be a priority for a good squat, a priority, not, not something that's like, oh, I'll just do whatever I can to get in the deep squat. No, you'll do whatever you can to maintain the ankle range of motion and to get better ankle range of motion. Next question. T. Chiwi says, when lifting one arm up from sideways, the opposite upper trapezius is painful. Why is that? I'm thinking that you're thinking of, so if I had my left arm and I reached it out to the side, because you're saying sideways, hip abduction, the opposite upper trap is in pain. Or even if you reach it, I guess, straight forward, the opposite upper trap is in pain. 
Well, why is that? Oh my gosh. Okay. So it's too complicated to try and describe. But what I will say is this. If you looked at a blanket or like an Afghan, something that somebody knitted together, right? There's a lot of different weaving that makes a blanket. And so you look at it and there's like, it's a matrix. So if you went down to one part of that blanket that's been woven together, and I'm talking about like, uh, you know, like knitting, knitting together that, so it has the looms or the little loops that are, even if they're tightly wound, but you can still see them. So not like a synthetic flat blanket, but those little looms. So if I pull out one of those looms and, and, you know, you know, it gets snagged on something, you know, if you've had a sweater and it gets snagged and that pulls out, that will eventually disrupt things in the surrounding area and maybe even in a different area eventually, because that it might look like it's just that one thing, but it had, it's all connected. And it was in the very beginning, all connected before it got all looped together. So the back of your shoulders, the back of your neck, and then all the different threadways of fascia and, and the muscles that are that, that the fascia surrounds, all of those affect each other. So when you lift your arm up on one side, it will it will be impacted by the other side, and it's the how tightly those kind of loop, those loops of have been sewed. So if something is tight there you will feel it with the other arm lifting up. So the point is that every, all this connective tissue is connected and it doesn't have to be that the same side. It doesn't have to be even in the arm. You might lift your arm and feel it in the, the low back, or you might feel it in the opposite side of the low back. Uh, there are so many things that are truly connected. And that is just giving you information like there's some stuff in my in the back of my neck and shoulders that is really restricted. My gut feeling without looking at it is that your head is off center. If you have a forward head and you um, your chin is forward and your whole skull is forward, all of those muscles in the neck are bound, bound, more bound and more restricted. And so moving in the arms, you will feel it. And it doesn't matter if you're moving the same arm or the opposite arm. Because those muscles from the back of your skull come down and they insert um, on the on the spine, they insert on the scapula, they insert on the clavicle, they insert on the shoulder, uh, the humeral head. So they when when you move your humerus, you, the the pull will be felt all the way back up into the neck, and then possibly into the other side. So I would first work on your posture and get your make sure that your neck is aligned, neutral, meaning pull that skull back and work from there. There's your answer. Aerial delights. It may sound silly, but what's the best position to sleep in, especially for those of us who suffer from anterior pelvic tilt and wake up with a sore, stiff lower back in the morning? That's such a good question because many people ask about what's the best sleep position because honestly, you're you're spending some degree. It could be four hours. It could be 10 hours sleeping or in bed and attempting to sleep. And that the way you sleep does very much impact the way you feel in the, certainly in the morning first thing until you get going. Now, if you have an anterior tilted pelvis, that means you know, you're tipped forward and you're going to have more already more tissue tightness in your low back. You might that also might be all the way up because if your low back is tight, your pelvis is pitched forward, your ribs are also going to be pushed forward. So your upper back, your mid back are also going to be tight. But the first thing uh, I would address is like what 
position are you going to bed in? And then what position are you waking up in? Because that will reflect something. Like a lot of times I'll go to bed lying on my back and I really want to stay lying on my back, but it's just feels so much better if I end up lying on my side. And I tend to go always on my right side. And of course, the tightness that I have, that when I, I have tightness is on my right side. So then I think, okay, I need to switch to the opposite side. But we get in our habits of always sleeping on one side of the bed, always turning that direction. So what I try and do is, especially when I travel and I'm not in, you know, in bed with my husband, because we tend to be so like, he's on this side, I'm on that side, and we don't switch. But I will sleep on the opposite side that I normally sleep when I'm traveling so that I can kind of get, or if I'm lying down for a nap, which never happens, but you know, I try and balance it out because the stiffness I usually feel in the morning is in my neck and shoulder area and it's on the side that I sleep. So I'm doing something, you know, inadvertently, we don't know subconsciously what we're doing when we're sleeping. I'm probably squeezing that shoulder up by the ear. For anterior tilted people, um, lying on your stomach will exacerbate some of this. So I would say lie on your side and put a pillow between your knees to get the the knees um, more in line so that you're not pulling on the pelvis there. One of the best things that I have ever experienced is a body pillow. So if you go out and get one of these big body pillows, it is amazing because you just kind of hold it and it aligns everything a lot better. And so that would be something I would really recommend is try lying on your side with a big body pillow and seeing if that helps. And avoid lying on your stomach without something underneath your belly because you're you're just pitching yourself into more anterior tilt when you're doing that. Okay, people ask about sleep a lot. T Chiwi asks another question. Weightlifting versus weight bearing. What's your thought? They're both great. I personally do not lift weights, but I that doesn't mean I shouldn't. Okay, so I mean, I... I some of it is just time of the day. Like I want to spend more time moving and I'm doing a lot of weight bearing in that through my hands and my feet. So I feel like my practice is really, really balanced, but that weight bearing, the, the extra weight lifting or uh, weights that you can get can be very, very helpful. I would just work with an, uh, an expert on this. Like say, I want to get stronger and I want to do it in a balanced way that isn't going to impact my overall balanced tissue because some people, when they just do a lot of weightlifting can get really imbalanced. So I would work with a professional. There's so many great personal trainers or functional movement specialists who can really help you add the weight to, to add more demand. So that's what really weightlifting is going to do is it's just going to increase the, the good stress on the muscles and surrounding connective tissue and on the bone matrix to get you stronger in, in all of those ways. But you need to approach it that you're you're adding stress or load and so you want to do it very, very um, respectfully and mindfully. And I think having an expert help you would be great. How do you find that expert? I don't know. I'm sure you can ask around. What you want to know is someone who sounds like they know a lot about the body, especially when you say, hey, I want functional movement with some weight added on. So it's not like I'm going for bulk of muscle, which I'm not sure if there's any added value to having bulk of muscle, if it's not in a relationship to how it makes you move better. Um, so ask, ask those questions, ask those questions. Final question for today, Gosha Paschal, if I go for a figure four, so the figure four pose is if you 
are trying to kind of get some external rotation in your left hip, the left ankle goes across your right thigh. And you can do this lying on your back. You can also do this standing, like if I'm standing on my right foot and, you know, in like a squat and I cross my left ankle over. But she says, if I go for a figure four, because my left knee hurts, should I do the same on the other side or is pigeon okay? Okay. So I see what she's saying. So some people will have uh, one knee will bother them and they can't do pigeon without that knee bothering them. But then the other side, the other hip is fine for them to do pigeon. I think it's totally fine. You're going to, you're addressing the balance of what that side is able to do. And, but I also think if you just did figure four on both sides, you're great. Cause pigeon is one of those that I'm, I love pigeon in many ways, but I also think that there's pigeon needs to be done in a way that is not about going as kind of deep or as far down as you can go, but is remaining very active within it. So you're essentially loading the tissues of the external rotators and some other ones of the hip as you use your body weight to, to lean forward if you're in pigeon. So I think doing pigeon is fine, but also just being satisfied with figure four on both sides is great. That's about as we, I think in yoga, especially we really overly emphasize hip external rotation and probably underemphasize hip internal rotation. And so we want that balance so that, yeah, it's okay to feel some pull in pigeon. We don't want to go for the place where we don't feel anything. That's when somebody says they don't feel anything. That's, that's when I get worried. (laughs) (laughs) because that means you're too loose. So uh, if you never do a pigeon again and just do figure four, that's, I'm going to say, that's totally fine. That's totally fine. So those are great questions. You can ask me any questions. Some person did ask me, I guess I kind of lied. That was my last question. Um, But someone asked me a non-yoga related question. And it was just like, how does your family deal with you being asked to do so many things all over the place? Meaning, I guess, like I'm being asked to travel and I'm asked to do that. And how do my my inner circle handle that. Um, I think they would say, and I cannot really speak for them, but I'm, I'm very like family is first. Family is first, always for me. So I have, you know, broken appointments, which I rarely do, uh, for something that was ne- necessary for my family. When I'm looking at my schedule, I'm very selective about where I go, and it's not for any other reason except that it helps to minimize my time away. So it's like. What it, what is the benefit of me going to this place, and um, do I want to go there? I don't just I used to, you know I think that when you are when you do get a lot of requests to to have people work with you or see your work, it's it's a great position to be in, and I'm very very humbled by it. There were I think for anybody starting off, you might have a different kind of you, you might have different parameters for yourself. You might need to say yes a lot more because you need to get that ball going. So for me, my family is first and they don't really feel the impact because I'm very selective about how much time I go away. And like, for instance, this year, I knew my daughter was going to be a high school senior. I knew that was a stressful time. I knew I needed to be closer. So I did not schedule a retreat, which I always do. I often have done two a year. I knew that... um, I was not going to travel at all in the fall because I needed to be there uh, for the college application process and all that. So I, I make my decisions first from that lens. And so therefore, I think 
they're okay with it. You know what I mean? Like, and they don't, they don't get into, they don't get into uh, the, the yoga part of it or the, the part of it that's my professional, you know, they don't, they don't really care. <laughs> I mean, they, they love me, but they don't really care how many people love me. So that's, that's great. And, you know, they've, that's what family is. They're, they're, they're your people who know you as the person you are, not as this figurehead. So I think that's always a place to go from is who matters to you the most and what matters to you the most. And if you're keeping that in check, then it should all be good. So I hope that answered that question. All right. Until next week, answer, I mean, send me your questions, movement at Laura at movementbylara.com, or you can go to my Instagram, laura.hyman and ask me there because I love to hear what you have to say and what you have to ask. As always, I'm pulling for you. Big hugs. Bye.